This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 517 with Dana Parrish Dennis. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 517. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Dana Parrish Dennis is a wife, a shameless mom, and a doctor. Originally from Oklahoma, she relocated to the Bay Area to complete her residency in pediatrics. She has served patients in low-income, urgent care, private practice, and hospitalist settings, and just recently made partner at a multi-specialty group practice in the Bay Area. She speaks a couple different languages, loves reading books with happy endings, and is raising her two free black daughters. So Dana is a member of Momentum Mamas, our membership community in the Shameless Mom Academy, and she has been for the last couple of years. And what prompted this interview is she just casually mentioned on one of our calls on a Monday night that she had made partner in her practice and she acted like it was no big deal. (laughs) And I was like, no, hold on. That's a really big deal. And I want to talk to you about it. I want you to come on the show and talk about what it's like being a female doctor in pediatrics, being a black doctor, going through medical school, making partner in a practice, like these are all really big deals. And I want you to come talk about it if you're open to that. And she said, yes. I'm so grateful that Dana said yes, because we had a great conversation. So listen in to hear Dana share what it's like to be a doctor in this pandemic, how she's managing her mental health as a physician, wife, mom, and woman during this time, what it was like to be the only black person in her medical school class, the pressure of being the sole black representative in conversations around race, 
The relief she found in moving from Oklahoma to Oakland for residency and to work with other black doctors, finally. How her employer responded to George Floyd's death and supported the Black Lives Matter movement. The benefits she's seen in living through this pandemic and why we need not desire going back to normal. The power in making partner at her medical practice this year and the legacy she is building to show her daughters that black girls can do anything. Having been in our community for quite a while now, Dana holds a very special place in my heart. So please help me in welcoming Dana Parrish Dennis to the Shameless Mom Academy. Dana, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, Sarah, I am so excited to be a guest on your show. I've been listening for quite some time and it feels awesome. I'm really excited. I'm so glad. So I have to let people know you are a member of Momentum Mamas or you've been a member of Momentum Mamas for the last two years. And so you have like, you've seen the Shameless Mom Academy from the inside. (laughs) And and I've gotten to work with you with some of the work that you've done within your various professional roles, which has been really cool. So we have this history, which is really fun and special and exciting. So I know like all the good questions to ask, some of which you sent me, but (laughs) I know all the good questions. All right. So we're going to dive in. I want you to tell me a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. So my name is Dana. I'm originally from Oklahoma and I moved out to the Bay Area for residency for pediatrics. So I was completing my training to become a pediatrician. And that's where I met and fell in love with my husband, Jamal. And now we have two kids, Jada and Journey. Jada is five and she is doing virtual kindergarten, which, yeah, that's really tough, but she's such a trooper and she loves school. And I'm just really in awe that she is being so incredibly flexible and just really watching her grow. And then my youngest is Journey. So she's three and she just loves doing everything that her big sister does. So she thinks (laughs) she goes to school too. Of course um, she does. She's also in kindergarten. She's <laughs> also doing it. And mostly I'm just excited to be alive in a time like this. I know that it sounds crazy because it's 2020, but <laughs> you know, we don't get to choose and we just right. get to make the best of every situation that gets thrown to us. So as I'm learning more about myself, I'm just realizing that I'm capable of a lot more things than I thought. And 2020 is showing me I can be really strong and I can do hard things. Oh my gosh. I love that perspective. I love that you're like, I'm just so excited to be alive right now because I don't feel like a lot of people are saying that, (laughs) but I think that's such a powerful perspective because if you can embrace this year with that attitude, I mean, there's nothing you can't do. Yeah. It all starts with your attitude and what you're willing to do. It doesn't mean that things aren't hard because yeah. Things are still hard, but you know, how you view it, like, are you going to rise to the challenge? Are you going to show people what you're made of or really just show yourself what you're made of? That's really the key to it. Yeah. My husband's parents both served in world war two in the Marines. And I feel like 
they always had so much pride in being able to serve and be a part of such a major significant part of history. And I feel like there's components of 2020 that are, that run parallel to that, where we're going to come out the other side of this and be like, I did 2020. <laughs> I did a oh, pandemic. Yeah. I did <laughs> a cultural revolution. Like we did a lot of things this year and we get to own all that. So it is really hard and it is overwhelming and feels so chaotic at times, but at the end of it, we do get to come out with like, holy cow, we did that. Yep. And virtual schooling and all of that. Yes, (laughs) We're making it. it. We're doing it. We're making it. Yes, absolutely. And you were early on, and this has actually come up a couple of times in Momentum Mamas. So you are one of our doctors in Momentum Mamas. And early on in the pandemic, I remember, and you're down in the Bay Area. And I remember you talking about like, here's what's happening down here. And here's how we're showing up in my clinic and how things are happening. And even recently on one of our calls, um, I was like all excited about the vaccine. You're like, it's okay to be excited, but it's not coming out tomorrow. (laughs) And So I know that it's been fascinating to hear your perspective being in medicine in this time. And that's a whole nother layer of being a part of history right now. And what has that been like? Oh, it's been wild. (laughs) I think that's the best way to describe it. It's been a wild time. I was working on a project back in 2018 about increasing our virtual visits. So we already had the opportunity to do telephone visits and video visits with our families. But for some reason, the uptake of it wasn't very high. And then to turn around like literally two years later and our virtual appointment rates are over 900% above baseline. And to say like, okay, like we had thought about it and now we're going to do it. And we had to move away from our traditional model of you come in to be seen. Now we're doing more diagnosis over and more telehealth. So many strategies have changed. Just the other day, we got a report saying that we run about 10,000 COVID tests a day. (laughs) And our goal is by the end of the month to be up to 18,000. And I mean, that I don't have to tell you, that is like huge to go from, I mean, just December 31st, 2019 was when COVID was first, you know, announced to the World Health Organization. And then to say, okay, six months later, we're really cranking it out. And then eight months later to say, okay, we have rapidly increased our testing capacity. How do we get patients in? How can we take care of families at the same time trying to take care of ourselves? Mm -hmm. It has been true madness. There have been some tears. There's been certainly (laughs) been some long nights. But I can say I'm really grateful for the institute that I work with and that they've always been really good about being very innovative. And when this pandemic came out, it wasn't like, oh, what do we do? It's like, all right, let's start preparing for what we do, which Mm. is help people and save lives. So that's what we're doing. Oh my gosh. Then that's a really powerful perspective to not even miss a beat and just be like, here, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to, we're ready. How has your mental health been to be a physician during this time who also is a mom 
and an independent woman, like just all these pieces of your identity. And I'm imagining just your work alone, I would imagine can be very consuming and probably scary at times like these. And then you have these other pieces of yourself where you're like, but I need to go home and be a mom still, or I need to like, just take a break and be Dana for a minute. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, come home and help my husband. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. So definitely mental health has been a big, I should say taking care of my mental health has been a big part of 2020. I joined Momentum Mamas two years ago. I have done individual therapy. I've done group therapy. So I'm a big believer in taking care of myself so that I can help take care of others. And before I really had that kind of mindset shift, I was very much like, just help until it hurts. And then, you know, Mm. grit your teeth and help for more. Versus now I am a lot more thoughtful about how I'm going to place certain boundaries because I have run dry in the past and that's just not a very comfortable or pleasant place to be. So I did change my schedule a little bit so that I could be home more and help my husband with doing like, and my daughter with virtual kindergarten. I have also just been a lot more empathetic with everyone. I'm like, oh man, anytime someone, something happens, I'm like, are you okay? But how, you know, what other support can we do to help you through this situation? Because, you know, mental health, it's huge. And Mm -hmm. I would say, taking the time, even when it feels awkward, even when it doesn't necessarily feel like the best thing to do right then, taking the time out and having time and space on my schedule, it has really helped to just be not exhausted by the end of the day and not snapping at my kids for something they really can't help. And also just having a lot more empathy with other people Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. 
We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like I see sometimes people drive so crazy and I'm like, oh man, I really hope that they're able to get to where they need to be in safe place because it just sucks to be in a situation where you have to drive 80 miles an hour to get where you need to go. (laughs) That's so funny. I am constantly challenging myself to be a more empathetic driver. And this actually started when I was pregnant. I had like road rage when I was pregnant that I have never had before. I would get so angry about really random things and it did not completely leave after I had my child. And so I really try to think through now. And especially when I do things in traffic where I'm like, oh, that was kind of a jerk move. And I just like was not fully paying attention or was rushing or whatever. And then I'm like, okay, remember that. Like next time you see someone else do that, remember that like sometimes we just do things in traffic and we're not our best selves. And there's a million reasons why we might be that way. So I love that you use that as an example because it very much resonates with me. (laughs) I hope it helps. Yes. So I want to go back to medical school And this was part of why when I asked you to come on the show, I wanted to talk to you about being a physician and being a female physician and being a black physician. I think there's just so many layers around your identity and going into medicine that I think are really fascinating and powerful. I'm excited to hear more about this. So I want you to talk a little bit about, you were the only black person in your medical school class. Can you talk about that and how that affects how you practice medicine and how you show up in the field? I have always known that I wanted to be a doctor. Even from elementary school, I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. And when I got accepted to medical school, I remember the first day being very excited. And one of the things that they do is called the white coat ceremony. Mm -hmm. So it's your very beginning of medical school. They give you a white coat. It's not as long as the official doctor coat, but you're a a resident physician, a physician in training. So it's a little bit shorter, but they do it to recognize that you're on the next step of the journey. And as I looked around, I was just shocked in that even though the medical school class was almost 50% women, I think it was like 48% women. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There I, was is only, that, is that, is it typically that close of a split between men and women? More and more, it okay. is becoming more, almost a 50, 50 split in that's the awesome. new upcoming classes. Mm. So you looked around and you saw a lot of women. <laughs> I did. And I realized I was the only member of the African diaspora. And I thought like, oh, wow, well, maybe they just kind of look. No, I went and talked and I said, oh, wow. And I even went to admissions to actually ask them and say like, hey, what happened? And the answer was that I wasn't the only African-American to be accepted to. I went to Oklahoma University in um, Health Science Center in Oklahoma, but I was the only one to accept. And So it was, they accept 150 students and it was only one African-American 
for my class. Now, in the oh, classes gosh. above me and the classes below me, there were other African-Americans, but I was the only one. I was the only Black person in my class. There was Black students in the class above yours and below yours, but not in yours. And can you tell us what are your, are there theories around those who didn't accept? Were they maybe going into other programs or just not able to attend that year? Or do you know anything about that? I do know that in schools where they don't have a large predominance of African-Americans, it makes it hard to recruit more, Mm -hmm. meaning that they go in and they see a class that's a sea of 149 faces and then one. And that Mm -hmm. makes them less likely to choose that particular institute. And so definitely how it affected me was this feeling of, I was the representative. So oftentimes when they talk about medical studies, they break it down into black, white, Asian, native. Sometimes they'll break out Asian into a Pacific Islander or whatnot, but it's very, it tends to be black and white. And so whenever there was a condition or a disorder, I kind of, or like a social perspective, if we were discussing it in terms of race, then I felt like I was the only one who could kind of speak to it. Was it assumed that you would speak to it? Yeah, it was. Yes. How did you feel about that? <laughs> so I feel differently about it now than I did back when I was in school. Because we as a nation, we have come a long way in terms of representation, in terms of even how we speak about certain racial and ethnic divides. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would have been an expectation if I went back to medical school today. Mm -hmm. But certainly a decade ago, yeah, it was, well, you should speak to it. These are your people. Mm. And it was also the concern that if I didn't speak to it, who would? Yeah, that seems like a big burden on top of the burden of medical school. (laughs) Yeah. As I look back on it, there are some things that I'm like, man, that was some bullshit. And if I had, I guess, the knowledge or the thought work or the thought leaders that I follow now, I probably could have spoken up for myself in a stronger way. But sometimes I would just feel like, oh, this feels kind of gross, but I couldn't necessarily put a name to it. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm wondering if some of it also was like, were there parts of it that maybe you couldn't, I mean, to your point about not being able to put a name to it, like not that you couldn't fully recognize or like label exactly what it was that made you feel uncomfortable. And so you just went along with it to get through it. Just to kind of get through it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I remember very distinctly the feeling of, I just want to put my head down. Yeah. I don't necessarily want to be noticed all that much because I'm already noticeable. Mm. So I just want to be just in the mix. I want to be treated like everyone else. I didn't want special attention, but I remember having a discussion about affirmative action in the, in my medical school and how some people have some very strong feelings that their friend maybe didn't get in because of affirmative action. And imagine trying to like 
be a 20 something year old person who's spending eight, 10 hours a day trying to study and mastery, and then having to think about the social issue of did I steal someone's place because of the color of my skin? And also feeling like, well, I'm just as worthy as anyone else here. But I wonder if they wonder if I'm only here because I'm black. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a lot to internalize. Yes. (laughs) Which is why after residency, I moved to Oakland. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious about the contrast. So and was your residency in Oklahoma as well? No, it was in the Bay Area. It was in Oakland. So oh, okay. I did college in Texas and I did med school oh, in, in Oklahoma. Okay. And then okay. I moved out here to the Bay Area okay. for my residency. And it was so beautifully different. Oh, I'm so <laughs> like, glad. So tell us about, I mean, what was that like to have it, that stark contrast? It was such a stark contrast. So I don't remember having any African-American professors in, um, in school. But when I got to residency, I had several attending physicians who were African-American. Even Mm. my residency director was an African-American woman, Um, one of the people Mm. at our ICU, African-American woman. And so one, just seeing myself reflected back to myself was huge. Oh my gosh. Huge. And it also did wonders for just making me feel more accepted in the medical community and that I felt like, okay, I am a part of this community. I'm not just like on the outskirts. No, I'm like a real doctor, doctor. The other thing is they did a lot more work on just cultural humility, you know, talking about different racial differences and how to affect change. It was things like having a discussion about white fragility or having a discussion about not all black people are a monolith. It felt really good. And then also I remember one of my classmates said, because she's originally from Berkeley. And I was saying about the difference between Oklahoma versus the Bay Area. And her response was, yeah, so I'm from here. And I think the rest of the country is weird. <laughs> and, and it just reminded me that like, what? I was like, I found my tribe. These are my people. Yeah, And two, that there are people who do really do a lot of work in um, justice work and helping to deal with inequalities and, you know, recognizing their own privilege. And it just makes the work easier because I feel more free to be me. Right. And so I'm not putting on a particular act, like I have to put on my doctor coach and I need to act doctor like. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm just putting on a, a portion of my, I'm still bringing myself in the doctor coach. Right. And I feel that people do respond to that. Yeah. I feel that they do respond to that. Oh my goodness. That must be, have been a breath of fresh air to make it to Oakland. Yeah, definitely. I never left. Uh, Yeah. So how long ago did you arrive in Oakland for residency? That was about 12 years ago. Okay. So now you're well-established there and tell us what is it like today? Are you in a big practice? 
So yeah, you're, if you're doing, if you're doing 10,000 COVID tests and I'm like, this must not, this is not a tiny practice. (laughs) This is not a tiny practice. I'm a part of a Kaiser Permanente. And so it has like, it's all across the U S but the particular group I'm in is the Permanente medical group. So we're located in Northern California. We have many, many sites and it's a group practice, multi-specialty So I feel very privileged that I can, if I have a question, I'm like, oh, let me just call up uh, the neurologist and get a quick consult. What kind of test should I order? Let me talk to the rheumatologist. It's very easy. It's very integrated. I love it. Nice. I love it. Before we move on, I have a special and I think super fun invitation today. So last spring, I interviewed Abby Parrots on the show back in episode 440, and she talked about how she helps moms start their own copywriting businesses. And a number of you reached out to me. You let me know that you loved that episode. And some of you even went on to join Abby's programs, which I was so excited about. So some of you have become writers since then. So here's the thing. You can write, even if you don't have experience or qualifications, or if you've never even been paid to write, deep down in your core, you are a writer. So maybe you journal, or maybe you write a newsletter for the PTA. Maybe you dream of writing a novel one day, or maybe when you read emails that pop in your inbox, you look at them and you're like, yeah, I could do that better. So you already are a writer. You just need to find someone who will pay you to write. And I have some awesome news for you. So Abby has been getting paid to write for 20 years. And in the last four years, she's been teaching moms to do the same thing. It turns out that copywriting is a pandemic proof business. Why is that? Because the value copywriting brings is directly tied to the bottom line of a business, which means that clients will pay a lot for it. So I've invited Abby to come in to the Shameless Mom Every Damn Day Facebook group next week. She's gonna be here on Monday, February 8th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and it's going to be amazing. If you are ready to step into your superpower and start writing, even if you don't have any experience or any specific qualifications, this is for you. It's going to be super fun. It's going to be really informative. And Abby's going to teach you how you can get started writing and making money writing for other people. So again, that's next Monday in our free Facebook group, February 8th, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Set a reminder on your phone. I'll be sending out information via email as well. If you don't get my emails, you can go to shamelessmom.com newsletter to get my emails. But set a reminder, set an appointment on your calendar so that you can join us on Facebook Live. It's gonna be super fun, super informative, and it's going to light a fire under you, guaranteed. I'm curious, being in pediatrics, my mom, and you've been in pediatrics the whole time and your daughter is five, your oldest, right? Yeah. So you're Uh practicing for a few years before you had your own children. And my mom was a teacher for many, many years before she had children. And she said, I was laughing when you sent me this information in advance of this interview. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, this is like what my mom has told me my entire life. She's like, honey, I was a decent teacher before I had kids. And then I had kids and I was like a million times better because I had so much compassion and empathy for parents on such a different level. And just like an understanding around like, Oh, the homework didn't get done last night. Like I get it. Things happen versus previous to having kids being like, well, the homework didn't get done. Like, what do you mean you were busy? What could you have possibly been doing all night? (laughs) So I'm curious how this has shown up for you, how your advice for parents differs now that you have children versus beforehand. So I always feel like I need to apologize to some of my former patients for just not getting it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, oh, let's help you put in a system in place and just not really recognizing that kids can throw the best 
laid plans to the absolute wind with a gleeful grin on their face while doing yep. <laughs> And so I definitely feel that I was a pediatrician for eight years before I had kids. So I definitely feel that my advice is a lot more practical. My encounters with parents are a lot more empathetic. And I just feel like I'm a better pediatrician in that pediatrics, going through medical school, going through residency, it gives you a great understanding about how things can work. But being a practicing pediatrician, I get the wonderful ability of almost having a peekaboo into people's world and how they allow things to work. And then having my own family, I really, really appreciate that there are so many ways that this world works. And Mm -hmm. before I had these thoughts like, oh, this is the best way. Now I'm like, oh, no, there are so many different ways you can get this done. (laughs) The best way is the way that works. (laughs) Yeah, right. The way that works for you, not the way that works for, yes. Yes, I love that. Yes. My doctor has, she has two sons and one of them is a little older than Vinny. And then the other one is like the same, pretty much the same age as Vinny. And it's so great because whenever we're, whenever I take Vinny in for an appointment or I'm in there myself asking questions or whatever, she's like this wealth of knowledge because she's raised two little boys in really close proximity to when I'm raising a little boy. And so she can tell me, she's like, oh, well, with my one, we did this with the other one, we did this, or this didn't work for either of them, or this is what it's looked like for us. And I always so appreciate. I'm so grateful. I'm like, this has been so helpful for her to have that dynamic and for her to even see like, just even between two different kids, like how different things can be. Um, So I just think that parenting brings so many new edges (laughs) to (laughs) one's profession, kind of like, especially if your profession involves children, but even if it doesn't, I think that parenting just really makes us so much more dynamic. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, The other thing I thought was just kind of interesting is that Whenever, like I've had some families that they are straight to the point. As soon as I walk in the room, they're like, yes, you are Dr. Parrish and we picked you because you are black and Mm. we want our child to see a black doctor. This is your doctor, Dr. Parrish. Is this white families or black families? Black families. Okay. Who come straight out and say it. Mm. But I have, on the other hand, had some white families who have also chosen me for the exact same thing, which I never thought would happen. I don't know why I didn't think it would happen, but (laughs) it's also like, oh, wow, here you are trying to create a community and you have specifically chosen diversity and representation as part of your values. And then you searched out me (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I'm like, oh, that is so thoughtful. And it's so fulfilling to me in a way that I just wasn't expecting. That's really cool. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And that speaks to your decision to move to a community where you would be able to be in a place. I mean, I think I feel like that really validates you making that decision to move to Oakland and to be in a place where you wanted to be a representative, but not the sole representative. And now you right. can be a leader in the space and also have like the support of other leaders who are have similarities to you and who are also black and who can understand what it means to be a representative in the space. Exactly. Yeah. I love it's it. Kind of cool. I love it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this year in particular and work and your practice in light of the pandemic, in light of everything with our, this whole cultural revolution, starting with George Floyd back in May, what does all that look like for you? So our organization did organize a couple of silent protests on company grounds, um, just to say that we stand in solidarity. They also started some dialogue groups so that people could come together, um, one, discuss issues, and then two, the hopes is to make change in the future. It's just nice to be in a place where it was pretty much a given that people were going to speak out against the injustice. Mm. And I just really appreciate working in a place and living in a community where People recognize that Black Lives Matter is just the baseline, and we are specifically looking at ways through, um, you know, AI, technology, how can we leverage making sure that people, our population, are being seen and are being heard. And it also helps 
that there are people like me. I mean, I play a small part, but I do feel that because people have the option to choose me, that mm-hmm. does help in just seeing my culture as something that is important, as something that is to be protected. That's really awesome that they just quickly, without hesitation, stood in solidarity. And that's not like, it wasn't like that everywhere. It wasn't like that among many big organizations. I think there was many organizations that chose to say nothing, to chose to not take a stand, said that they were going to quote unquote, not be political. I'm just imagining for people who had the opposite experience, how meaningful it must have been for you to have such a supportive experience. And for people who haven't had something like that, what a dream that would be to feel so fully seen and supported and to feel safe in that way. Yeah. I won't say that they've handled everything perfectly, but they have at least tried. Yeah, And to me, the fact that they're willing to try, even Mm -hmm. if it fails, even if it's not, even if it's a little too much or not enough, Mm -hmm. at least we're having the conversation and starting to move the needle so that it's not just something that affects one community. It's we're all in this community and a portion of us have been affected. So let's see what we can do to help. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think this time has changed us in good and bad ways related to the pandemic and social injustice and any other ways that you've seen? I think the big way it has changed us is that it has provided us the opportunity to slow down, you know, with just not being able to socialize in the way that we have in the past, because so many things have shut down and air travel is just not where it used to be. We have had to kind of reorganize our lives in a different way in order to, you know, continue to live and to move forward. My hope is that we don't just go back to normal. (laughs) Every time someone says we get the vaccine, we're going back to normal. I kind of cringe a little bit. Mm, Yeah. Say more about that. (laughs) There have been so many lessons about slowing down, about taking care of each other, about pulling together as a community, doing what's best for the group. And I love the fact that with virtual appointments and being able to have virtual meetings, we're not as tied to being in a physical location. Now we can have more ability to move around. And to be perfectly honest, working 60 hours a week and always being on the go and answering all these emails and going from place to place, that wasn't healthy either. So my hope is that we will take a few of these lessons and continue to implement them, at least in terms of protecting family time, giving people the ability to work from home. I can now work from home one day a week versus in 2018, that was absolutely not even a question. (laughs) No. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, well, yeah, you can work from home on Thursday. Nice. I love it. I totally agree with you. I think that there's so many things that we've seen are possible that we previously thought were not possible. And not only are they possible, but maybe even preferable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe like more accessible or more uh, meaningful or just, like there's so many things. And of course, there's also things that are really hard and really negative, but there are so many things that we're like, oh, like this could be better. I was actually on a call um, a couple of weeks ago with a woman 
and she has four kids and she's working from home, working a corporate job. And she's like, my job has been so great. And they just expect that. Like, if I'm on a call, I'm going to have a kid in my lap. And she's like, I'm ready for that to be over. But I appreciate that. You know, I'm ready for it to be over that. Like this child is attached to me, but I appreciate that my employer doesn't think anything of it. It like doesn't even bat an eye. And a year ago it would have been like, well, hold on. Like this is a corporate call. Like you're not going to have a kid on your lap. (laughs) And I think that there's some really great gifts in that as well. Exactly. Like, Hey, this little person lives with me. I I can't just get rid of them. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. She was also saying, she's like, yeah. And I get to have lunch with my kids every day. (laughs) So it's like this double edge, like, yes, this is such a benefit family time kind of over it, (laughs) but yes, we don't need quite as much family time as 2020 has provided us. But <laughs> yeah, I was actually this morning, I was in the shower and Vinny was eating breakfast and he's sitting downstairs eating breakfast by himself. And I was up in the shower thinking, maybe I should have sat down with him and I could have showered later and then he wouldn't have to eat alone. And then I was like, what am I talking about? Like this kid has eaten more meals with me in the last year. He can sit and eat breakfast by himself. He'll be so, fine. <laughs> yes, totally. Okay. So I have to ask you, we in Momentum Mamas a while every we start off every Monday's call talking about our wins. And you just like, oh, so casually mentioned a few months okay. ago that you made partner in your practice. And it was just like in the chat, like everyone's just sharing wins and you're like, oh, I made practice and we were or made partner. And we were like, wait, in my eyes, this is like a major life milestone. I don't know what is required to make partner, but it just, it sounds very difficult and hard and like a long time coming. And like, you've probably had to prove yourself over a long period of time. So I think of this as a really big deal. Can you talk about, and this is a big thing when I said, I wanted you to come on the show. I'm like, I want you to come on the show and talk about making partner. (laughs) And so (laughs) you have not made a huge deal about it that I'm aware of, but I'm going to ask you to make a big deal about it and tell us about making partner in your, in a medical practice. What does that mean to you? What does that mean? Like for your, for that to be the legacy that your daughters have of you and all of those pieces. Okay. (laughs) So Yeah, I'm really grateful that you went ahead and made such a big deal about it because I probably just would have said, all right, well, we checked that box. Now let's move on to the next thing. (laughs) Because that's like how my perfectionist mind tends to do things. So it actually is a big deal to make a partner in that, you know, you have to be first, you have to be hired to be even on a partner track. And then there are, I think we get reviews every six months. And then the entirety of the medical center actually votes whether or not to accept you as a partner. And once you've been accepted as a partner, you we buy certain pieces of the firm, I guess. And it does mean that I mean, we're very egalitarian. So it's not like I'm partners. So that means I get Christmas off and you lowly people have to work. No, we still (laughs) split everything fairly equal as far as workload. It does mean that when big things come up, we have the ability to vote on it. And we do vote together a couple of times a year. For me personally, what it means is I love that my girls can look up to me as a doctor as someone who is important in the community, as someone who can offer a scientific or medical opinion on situations. And I'm just really proud about that. So proud about that. 
And also, I'm hopeful that it will inspire more people to, especially more African-Americans, to join medicine and to maybe look at me as a type of mentor or someone that they can talk to as they go throughout their process. So I do feel that just being a part of this organization and me saying like, hey, I did it, you can do it too. And that's always big. I also think that if you're an achievement oriented person, it can be, there's two pieces. First of all, it can be the sense of like, well, I'm gonna just keep plugging away until I get the thing. And naturally I'm going to get it because that's what happens if you plug away at something for long enough. And so then we kind of minimize that, like, this is amazing that I got it because we don't recognize that a lot of people just don't plug away at things for that long. (laughs) And then there's another piece of it. If you're achievement oriented that you just blow past a big milestone because you're like, but what's the next thing I have to like, cool. I did that check the box and like, what's next on the list. And I'm curious if either of those resonate with you. Definitely the first one. Cause I'm like, well, I did the work. I did the stuff. I stuck with it. I should get what I've worked for. Mm -hmm. And so when it came, I was like, yes, I worked for this and now I've got it. And we've checked that box and we're good. (laughs) That's funny with the podcast, when we have milestones, like 3 million downloads or whatever. And I'm like, well, anyone who has a show for long enough is eventually going to get 3 million downloads or 500 episodes. Like anyone who, you know, if you make two episodes a week for enough years, you're going to eventually hit 500. So it's funny how we can like make these equations kind of in our mind where we're like, well, but if you just do this, then like, you're going to get there. And it's, that's just what happens. And people from the outside are like, holy cow. So I think I'm looking at your work and I'm like, holy cow, like that is a lifetime of work to get there. And you're just like, but this is just what I do. I show up every day and do the work. And I think that's a great point that for anyone out there listening that, hey, if you're doing the work, if you're trying at it, that, you know, it may not come exactly when you expect it to, but it's coming. Yeah. Absolutely. So just keep going. <laughs> yes. I love that. Tell me a little bit. So you have your two little girls. Oh my gosh. They're so stinking cute. I love Facebook and Instagram stalking your family. So tell me a little bit about the legacy that you are leaving to these two little girls. What do you see for them? So I just see so much possibility for them. My oldest is now learning French, which actually means my youngest is learning French too. <laughs> and I just see so many wide open opportunities for them. They have the experience of Barack Obama being president mm, and now yeah. Kamala Harris, who is from Oakland. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, saying like, hey, you can hold the top job of the country. You can be a doctor. You can be an astronaut. And my daughter, you know, she just believes it. She's been told that you can do whatever you want to as long as you work hard. And so her big thing is like, oh, I just got to work hard, mommy. (laughs) She told me the other day, she asked me, what can I do to earn money? Because she decided she really wanted this toy. And she figured that she needs to earn money to get the toy. And so she came to me asking for a job. Oh, my gosh. So cute. And I gave her one. It was really cute. Yeah, I was going to say, did you give her a job? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I had her break some leaves and she loved it. She got dirty. She filled up the whole basket. And I said, every time you fill up a basket, you will get five bucks. And um, I think right now she's up to like $40. So she's doing it. Oh my gosh. Look at her go. (laughs) I've done that with Vinny a few times and he'll get like halfway through the task and he'll be like, yeah, I don't want the money that bad right now. Maybe tomorrow. (laughs) 
I totally thought she was going to quit, but I am really impressed with her stick-to-itiveness. And That's yeah, so, so I great. guess we can get her a little poison. It. I love it. Go, go get it. So good. Okay. I want to know in what ways you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. Oh, I am showing up shamelessly and unapologetically by taking up the first hour of the day for myself. That's when I do my morning manifest. I have meditation. I do a little bit of journaling. And then I feel that my cup is full and it allows me to pour out into my family for the rest of the day. And I also am giving myself lots of love and permission for the hard things while all the while knowing that it's going to be okay. This is a really tough season. Mm-hmm. And also it's going to be okay. I love it. Yes. I love both of those so much. You know, I love a morning routine. And then, <laughs> you know, I love us giving ourselves permission for all the things. So good. All oh my things. gosh, Dana, this has been so great. I so appreciate you and the legacy that you are building and the model that you are putting out there into the world for other little girls, little black girls and families to see what is possible and what leadership looks like and what tenacity looks like. I think it's so powerful. And I know that your impact is already wide and vast. And I know it's just going to continue to grow. Where can people find you, connect with you and Facebook and Instagram stalk you (laughs) if they want to learn more? So I'm on Facebook, uh, Dana Paris Dennis, and I am on Insta as witty acronym, all one word. And that's where I love to post pictures with my girls. Sometimes I'll post some kind of funny memes, but that's mostly where I hang out. I love it. Thank you, Dana. This has been so great. You are such an inspiration to me. I'm so honored to have gotten to work with you the last couple of years, and I cannot wait to see what the next few years bring to you and to your French speaking girls. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. And congratulations. 500 episodes is a huge landmark. I cannot believe it. I know. And thank you for being consistent. Cause I know when I plug in my phone and I'm like, (laughs) Oh no, today's the day. I just got to hit refresh and I'm going to get a new episode. (laughs) Yep. Consistent. I'm nothing if not consistent. (laughs) Thank you, Dana. Oh, thank you. Okay, mamas, before I let you go, I have to tell you something really fun that happened after this interview. So Dana reached out to me a couple weeks after the interview, and she said, hey, I started something fun and awesome, and I want you to share it with people who listen to the interview. And I said, yes, of course. So she started a website called Bookish Black Nerd. It's at bookishblacknerd.com. And this is a resource for book reviews that center on diversity and black, indigenous, people of color characters and tips for getting your little people excited about reading. She also started an Instagram page for the website at that is at bookish.black.nerd. That's bookish.black.nerd on Instagram. So I'm going to link all that in the show notes as well, but I just wanted to make sure you knew because we are always trying to add diversity and books of children of all colors and stories and backgrounds into our children's libraries. And this is going to be a great place to do that. So thanks, Dana, for that update. Everyone go check out bookishblacknerd.com. And thanks for listening in today. 
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.